When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. The Unholy Trinity Podcast. Three blues. Three opinions. One Everton Podcast. Welcome to episode 203 of the Unholy Trinity Podcast, brought to you in association with Sports Social, Europe's biggest sports podcast network, and also Fanatics. Recording a few days after the uh, the debacle uh, of Sellers Park due to a poor officiating, but we'll get there in a minute. Um, and it's it's great to have a new guest on the show the first time. Uh, we've been going out for nearly five years, and we always like to bring new people onto the show. So delighted to welcome from uh, School of Science TV. Luke, Luke, how are you on this very cold Sunday morning? It's got to be said. Yeah, I'm not too bad. Thanks. Thank you very much for having me on. It's it's great to uh, get onto the get onto the podcast. I do enjoy listening to you guys. Well, we met Jimmy for the first time at the uh, the the Jags and Jimmy event in St George's. Old great event between Christmas and New Year. Uh, at a great time down there meeting meeting the the two men themselves, and and we were sitting pretty pretty close to each other on the uh, on the night. Yeah, we were. Of all the places we could have been, we, we were quite literally put in the podiums either side of each other. It was great. And it was a great night. Um, Jimmy was talking about his past and everything. That was absolutely hilarious, hearing all the little stories he's had and all that. Well, it, I mean, I think the thing with Jimmy Martin is I think he always comes comes along, doesn't he, with a lot of stories, given given how many years he was at the club, the jobs that he did, the managers that he worked under. Um, so he was always going to be... Be there on on soft form, and then obviously Jack Yelke. I think maybe for the for the younger the younger fans, uh, great to have the former the former captain there, and they seem to obviously have a have a good relationship. I thought themselves as well. So it was it was good. It was a good good little night and um, put together really well. So hopefully you know the, these kind of things we have we have more of these kind of things in the future because it was a, it was a great venue as well. You know, lo- lovely place to, to to sit down, have a couple of drinks. You know, communicate with other other Evertonians. Obviously, met yourself, met other people around us. You since we have been in such as well. So it's 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 a it's a good little uh, little socialising uh, and networking events for, for those people who like that kind of uh, modern terminology. You know, I know Lee does. He's not with us today, but Lee loves loves a bit of networking, uh, especially on the golf course. But uh, he's not with us today. But let's let's jump straight in if we can, because obviously the the, the fixture we're going to look back on a couple of you know two or three days ago now Thursday night city time as we said. Was the the Crystal Palace third round FA Cup tie at Sellers Park and Pete? I'll I'll bring you in. Um, it, it's hard to to discuss the game when one of the the worst red cards I've ever seen in my life 
was actually given to, to Dominic Calvert-Lewin. And it's the only place to start, as much as it was about 15 minutes to go. We can't start anywhere else because, once again, we're seeing poor officiating off the field in terms of VAR, but then it gets thrown back to the referee on the night, Chris Kavanagh. We all know we've got a bit of history with him as well. And he then makes a poor decision by sending Dominic Calvert-Lewin off for what was a fantastic tackle. A lovely bit of skill, actually. Um, and I still sitting here today, can't get me head around it. No, and I think one of the main frustrations for me is outside of Evertonians, it's another one of them that doesn't seem to be getting that that much press or that much focus. You know, the the decision's that bad. It, you know, but bar a, a bit of an afterthought in in the match report, um, or you know, a, a, a bit of a preface to outlining the game in in you know in media outlets it's not had the focus it deserves to me because it's an absolutely catastrophic decision I, I mean I I almost felt almost not quite almost felt embarrassed for the officials when it went to the post-match um kind of punditry we both you know both um both pundits in the studio were saying like not only did was it not sending off it wasn't a yellow card and it, and it wasn't even a foul Potentially, it was it was a good tackle. You know, he, he was in control. He's not. He's not. It wasn't even a tackle. I mean, let, let's just get that straight. He, he wasn't. He, he wasn't making a challenge. He was bringing the ball down under under control by, and he he, he slid in and, and went to scoop the ball. And what's happened is Klein's come running in, and has grazed his leg on Calvert Lewin. And Klein's running at a different angle to the challenge. I mean, you, we could probably sit here and make a list. Uh, you know, of all the elements of of what happened as, as to why it's not a red card, and I bet we'd get more than ten things on the list. But it, you know, it, it, it's probably not a good use of our time. But I've said it before on this podcast. You know, we we, we try and set out to be, you know, temperate and thoughtful and balanced. But when stuff like this happens, it makes you absolutely crazy, and it does it does make you paranoid. It does make you start to look at the statistics and think. Is there a vendetta against Everton? Is there an agenda? And there's been some wonderful stats that fans have managed to pluck out that you know really makes you think twice. I mean, what is it? But Porson and VAR, is it five yellow cards in about 20 games he's made yeah. against us? I mean, that that's absurd. I was looking yesterday at um, our, our FA cards over the, the past three or four seasons, and I think bar... Was it 20, 2021 where I think we were top of the, the the red card table with about six? I think all of the seasons it's two or three. You know, so th- this guy is dishing out, you know, pretty much record levels of, of of red cards that, you know, when we've got that level in a season, it's been an anomaly for us as a club. Well, at, 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 yeah, Pete, why, why are you going down that road? Craig Porson, so in charge of everything. So obviously, on the day, he was the man. Uh, in VAR, wasn't he? So he was the one who sent Chris Cavan to the screen. Craig Porson for Everton. He's refereed 24 games. Everton have only won five of those games. He's just out 41 yellow cards and five reds. Mm. Now, that's that, that's unbelievable. So one in five games, one of our players is being sent off and involves Craig Porson. So let, let's get it right. VAR, people will always say VAR's the problem. It's the people who are in charge. Of course, that, that is that is definitely part of it. VAR can be used so much better. The problem with VAR is, is that for every little intricate thing that happens in the game, 
they're using VAR. So it was first brought in for what's the famous terminology, clear and obvious errors. So straight away on Thursday night, is that a clear and obvious error? Nobody appealed for a foul. Nobody was looking for a foul. We got everyone got on with the game. The Crystal Palace players are going around Dominic Calvert Lewis saying, Yeah, that's not a red card. You see the Everton Everton players surrounding the screen. I think it was Coleman Tarkovsky, Michalenko was there as well. And they're looking at the screen and Coleman's shouting, No way, no way. You know, there's not nothing in it. So there's nothing clear and obvious in that. But what happens is, as as Sean Dice said, uh, said, they slow everything down to the nth degree. He said you can slow everything down in the game, every tackle. And you can then look to find something. So were they looking to find things to penalise players for? Or are they using VAR for what it should be used for? And that, that is clear and obvious errors. And that wasn't a clear and obvious error. As you said, it's a good tackle. He wins the ball. As you, It wasn't even really a tackle, was it? Like you say, a good, good little bit of skill. He's just dragging the ball back, really. And we see him sent off for something like that. It's just it, it's it's unbelievable, and and I I said after the game I put a post out, the sport is finished. If this is what would I mean, every, every side, every team in the Premier League has got grievances with VAR and with the officials and things like that. We all have. We can sit here and say we think it's an agenda or it's not. We can sit here and say we feel that we get rougher treatment than other sides. Whatever whatever the situation might be, but the point is this: VAR has got to be, to, to use the manager's terminology, cleaned up because it's being used incorrectly. And what we're seeing is the goal against Tottenham by Calvert-Lewin, disallowed for nothing. So football's becoming a, non, a non-contact sport. We see what happened there, obviously, uh, against Palace. We see the penalty the City got for when Onana got penalised for handball. That's only in recent weeks, by the way. You can go further back and, and look at things from earlier parts of the season. But... But Luke, it's it's disappointing, isn't it? To to you know post post match, the first thing and the thing that you've got to talk about yet again, and we've done it too many times this season and last season, is the officiating and the the shocking level of officiating in both the Premier League, the FA Cup. But any time it involves VAR, we we sit here and we talk about it and we analyse performance of officials when really they should fade into the background. It is. It is terrible, to be honest. Um, the, it's one of them. Uh, for a post-match, you want to be talking about how the players have performed, how things have went went well, things haven't went well. But instead, a lot of people are now talking about poor refereeing decisions, poor VAR decisions, and stuff like that. I mean, as we know, in past couple of seasons, we've had decisions not go our way. I mean, not to dig up old things, but I mean, last season, Mishad Derby, at Goodison, uh, Virgil van Dijk literally embeds his studs into Onana's shin. Nothing gets done about that. And now we've got Calvert-Lewin literally sweeping the ball up, having an opposition run into him and saying, now that's a red card. So where do we go from there? Does that mean any touch is now considered a foul? Are we going to literally have a sport where we cannot physically touch each other? where we've got to get the ball off someone without making any contact to an opposition. It's absolutely stupid. Football itself initially was a contact sport where you would clatter an opposition. And as long as you've done it in a way where you got the ball and didn't injure the player, that was sound. I mean, I've the, the red cards, I, I'm going to... I've 
went and played Sunday League football. I played literally casual football where worse tackles are made and the opposition's gotten up and carried on. So where, where are we going from there? Is it also the fact that the opposition actually made an absolute meal of it? Where when he went down, he went down as if he had literally had a sledgehammer put to his shin. What? Um, it's getting to the point of stupidity now. We need to remove VAR in the regards of whether it be red cards or serious fouls and keep it to say maybe offside posi- offside decisions maybe just showing that line and even then that's not even needs a person's not even needed for that we've literally got artificial intelligent technology that can identify this and it's been proven in the world cup where you literally have a virtual line that they then put a basically a virtual human over and they can say yeah he's offside or no he's not offside so it's one of them. VAR and the essence that we've got here in the Premier League is just, it's ridiculous, to be honest. But And, and the question is as well, is the officials never seem to answer the questions. So, after, I mean, I'm, I'm not saying, by the way, some people say put them in front of the camera. I'm not even saying that. What will happen is, when it comes to next weekend, I mean, we saw Craig Porson refereeing the, 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 obviously the derby yesterday between Sunderland and Newcastle. And the stuff he was letting go in that game, by the way, and the, and the one he booked was at Luke nine for, which was force. You could argue it was out of control. And he got he got a book and the comments, he loved it. Oh, great, you know, this is what it's all about, these kind of games. So we're we saying now, game by game, it's different. So you can allow certain things in a, in a, a local derby, but you can't allow it in, in, a, in a game between Crystal Palace and Everton on a Thursday night. It's also nonsense. I mean, there's nothing about Calvert-Lewin's supposed tackle that was out of control. There was no kind of force behind it at all because, like, like you said, Pete, it wasn't a tackle. It was a little bit of skill, a little bit of a drag back. So, we're, you know, it, it's all about interpretation, but that that wasn't even, there was no blurred lines there. It was obvious what he was doing. It, was, it wasn't a foul. I just don't see how he can get it so wrong every single week. But these officials, as I say, they'll appear again next weekend. They'll either be on VAR or they'll, they'll be the, uh, the, the referee on, on the day. Um, but we're seeing it. I mean, we, we could literally say, listen, we don't want Chris Kavanagh at Goodison Park again. We don't want Craig Porson at Goodison Park again. T- uh, Tim Robinson has been uh, awful this season for Everton. Don't want him again. But we'd have no referees then because they're no. all as bad as each other. They, we said it time and again. They hide behind the fact that we've got technology. They don't officiate the game. They're getting told effectively by, by those uh, in Stockley Park to, to, to what to give. You know, they're the ones refereeing the game from... 200 miles away. And this is the problem. Until we get back to basically stripping it down and making officiating what it what it once was with the use of some good facets of, of technology. We always say goal line technology, absolutely fantastic. No problem. You know, there's been the odd glitch over how many years it's been used. But listen, it, it, it's a great tool to have. And so you stop basically, you strip it back and you say, listen, you're the on-field official. You're, you, you make the final decision. We go with you, and then we we will inter, we will uh, intervene if there's something massively massively you know that you've that you've missed, which is the idea. Mm. But what I can't get my head around, Pete, as well, is how many times have we seen since they brought in VAR? How many times have we seen the on-field official when he gets told to go to the screen have a little bit of a backbone and say, "No, I saw that. I saw that, lads. It's not a red card." I'm not gonna go, I'm not gonna now change my decision and give a red card, whatever it might be. How many times have we seen that? Because we don't see it, do we? 
No, and I, I, I mean, I'm sure while we're talking, we'll be able to pull out the, the stats because I, I imagine it's extremely rare. Off the top of my head, I can think of one game I've watched where an official in the Premier League has gone to VAR and has stood by his on-field decision. And hopefully, as I'm talking, he might come back to me for, for reference. Um, but the, the, the two of you are absolutely spot on because... VAR has not been brought in to, to be used in the way that we're using it. It's, it's been brought in to try and clear up errors and mistakes and, and subjectivity. And all it's done is add in another layer of subjectivity. Because as you say, Mike, what's happening now is officials are going to that screen and, and scrutinising moments in slow motion, which is not what it's designed for. It's designed for, as you said, clear and obvious errors. And I, you know, I think there's, there's an argument that if the referee hasn't, given you know made a decision in real time in play you know we need to be really really cautious about overturning those decisions because no no one on the pitch appealed for that for that red card i think there was you know was maybe one player that put a hand in the air for for a foul but you, you could see it on the faces of the palace players as well you know and and for me when you're in the stadium or when you're watching the game that's often the biggest tell of whether a decision's gone really badly wrong because the the players know on on both sides um, but it it really is ruining the game, and I think in a weird way that the one positive for for us, or the the one thing that keeps you semi sane, is what's happened with Wolves in the Premier League. Because I think at the start of the season, there was a there was a cacophony of horrendous errors that, um, you know, that cost them points and cost them decisions. And you know, behind closed doors, I don't know whether they've had conversations with with the Premier League, but. I think the one positive for Everton is it's been highlighted with other clubs. I think the the sickener is it doesn't seem to happen to the so-called you know big four or big six, and when the, those decisions do take place, it tends to work in their favour, and that's the thing that makes your blood boil. And I think in a weird way, it's one of those things that stops it from getting further attention. Um, you know, like I like I said earlier, I I, just, I can't believe how how little attention such a massive error, a massive mistake, f- f- you know, from two big Premier League teams has got such you know such little focus. I think the one shining light, and the, the two of you might have heard these comments. I didn't hear the interview, but Neil Warnock, who is you know former Premier League manager, who has no allegiance to Everton whatsoever, he's got no connection to our club, came out and, and asked uh, who the official was. Um, in VAR and when he was told it was Craig Pawson he said well there's something there between um, Craig Pawson and Everton and and that that for me was just so validating that you know someone from outside the club a so-called neutral with no allegiance no affiliation to us has taken a look at something and said yeah do, do you know what there's something that, that's gone on there that isn't right but it, again it just causes me disbelief that You've got an ex-Premier League manager coming out and saying this, that, yeah, actually, there's a referee potentially with a a bit of a vendetta or an agenda against the club that's making big errors. And it's not being seized upon or it's not not being looked at. You just don't know where to go with it, do you? No, I mean, I think in terms of the initial outcry, there was a lot, wasn't there? So to post-match, there was a lot of outcry from a lot lot of people. Um, Obviously, the following day, it was still very much a talking point. I think the concern that, that we always have is, like you say there, you know, is there more to it? And, and I'm not I'm not sitting here saying, by the way, there's an agenda against against Everton. 
Um, you, you certainly couldn't answer that question because, like, like you mentioned, Wolves have been through absolutely some some terrible decisions for long uh, and large portions of this season. You know, we have ourselves, and you know, the the, the favourites, the favourites of the Sky Six. You know, th- those kind of decisions do they impact them? Not as much, probably because they win more games. Is probably what I'd say. Whether there's there's any kind of favouritism, we can all argue there probably has been and is. You know, we've always said that we think because there's some kind of protection over this these six sides for a variety of reasons, as we've discussed in the past. But I think that you know we, we've got to keep the pressure on, like 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 anything. You know, we've we've got to keep the pressure on, whether it be as we've gone back over numerous times, the point deduction that we've suffered, that pressure is is still there. The the officiating. The pressure's just got to just got to stay there. We can't forget it. I mean, obviously, the the appeal's gone in, rightly so. Quickly, the following day, we were told we've lost an appeal, and that's what we should be doing. You know, we, we there's bigger ramifications here. Don't forget, if this appeal basically doesn't get doesn't get overturned, this red card, we've lost our main striker for three games because that's that's deemed effectively violent conduct. And it's just it's 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 unbelievable to me that that can be deemed a three match ban anyway. Um, so it's important we get this we get this red card over to and that that's the first thing. But we've got to keep the pressure on because the the officiating is absolutely horrendous, and it's it's to the point where I've seen a lot of people sort of now looking to sort of turn away from the game a little bit now. You know, um, someone saying. Uh, about now they don't even really care about going to the game and they, they'll give the, the season tickets away on a game-by-game basis. Um, this is what's happened to modern football. You know, this is what's happened to, to modern football. And it's it's sad, really, isn't it? The fact that we do spend so much time looking at these things. You mentioned about you that you have Sky Sports with like ref watch on a Monday and things like that. Why, what's, you know, why? Why are we doing that? You know, it, it shouldn't even be a thing. But that, that, that's where we are, and you know it, it's so disappointing the fact it was a third and FA Cup tie. You got four thousand fans have travelled a long way on a Thursday night to, to get down there and support the team. You know, the, to be fair, I thought the lads, the lads, had, had a it was a decent performance without being out of this world. But I thought we were the better side overall, to be honest. And then you then have to deal with with that nonsense yet again, and we spend all our time talking about it. But Let's put it to bed if, because we could spend a, a full hour talking about the the officiating on the day. But but Luke, obviously the game itself, you know, we look at the performance of, of Everton against you know a pretty solid Palace side. You know, bar Elise, you know, it wasn't far off from being their, their preferred eleven. You, you would argue. Um, Everton made a few changes. It's nice to see Dan Juma get get some minutes. Great to see Seamus Coleman back in there as well. Um, always always welcome. To see Seamus in there. What were your thoughts on the performance? Because as I say, it wasn't it wasn't a, you know a standout performance, was it? But it was a really solid away performance, and, and you could argue on another day, Everton should go on and win that game. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, overall, the performance was pretty much a standard Everton performance so far this season. Getting the ball moving around, we're we're stifling any form of attack that Crystal Palace tried to throw at us, and we made our opportunities. The unfortunate thing is, we were still missing that finishing pro- product. And I mean, it's one of them. At the moment, we can see that the team just doesn't seem whole without Decorey right now. But overall, like movements, possession, and opportunities seem to be quite abundant for us. We're actually getting around the pitch. We're making the right passes. We're just, as I said, lacking that last little bit of a touch. And I mean. 
that's where Calvert-Lewin should be coming into it. I mean, yes, he is a striker, but this is the one thing we're probably going to miss with Aston Villa is his holding up play. Because as I've noticed as of late, he's become a lot more uh, robust when it comes to having the ball. He makes it a lot harder for opposition to dispossess him and he's more inclined to pass for one of our players rather than trying to go for a little Hail Mary. Well, yeah, I know that's we know how good Calvert Loons hold up players. And listen, up we don't know. Maybe this gets overturned. So it's a little bit presumptuous, but at the moment, as things stand, you're right. You know, if he's missing, then he's he's, he's gonna be a big miss. Um I mean he was, you know, his usual self I thought on uh, against Palace. But PC you think Calvert Loons dropped off, don't you? A touch in recent weeks. I think it goes back to the uh, the Fulham game in the cup. I remember us sitting there in the Bullens and, and you, you you made reference to it to me and you felt that he's, his performance level, for whatever reason, has dropped compared to what it was when he went on, obviously, a, a run of games. He was scoring a few goals. He seems to be a little bit, for, as I say, we don't know why, not not his, not his true self. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. I, I think I think he looks tired. I, I mean, he's, he's played the most amount of minutes for us. You know, probably since the Ancelotti season, hasn't he? Because in between that, he's been plagued by you know, some really serious injuries. And I think, you know, b- before I go on to say what I'm about to say, we need to remember that there was a time fairly recently where I think we were questioning whether we we're going to look to offload Calvert Lewin or whether his career might be over due due to the um, you know the consistency and the severity of some of the injuries he he has had. And he's so important to us. He's so important to us the way for the way that we play. And even when he's not on the score sheet, he's you know he's really contributing to our game. And w- without him, and you know without Beto, uh, we, I mean we only need to remember, don't we? When we, we've had Mope up front, we just can't get up the pitch. So I'm I'm really not going on a Calvert Lewin attack, but I I do think he looks tired. I do think he looks underconfident, and I was a little bit surprised to be honest that that the manager didn't protect him a little bit and start with Beto. Who, for me, I know Beto's he's a bit more raw than Calvert Lewin, but I think he's he's looking a little bit sharper and a bit more confident and a bit more energetic. Um, and I just wondered if Calvert Lewin could have benefited from a bit of timeout because that that Palace game was a slog. You know that was a hard game. You know, Palace, I don't like to say it, but at the moment I think they're they're a fairly similar side to us in some ways. Organised, tough to beat hard you're going to be in a game with them particularly at Selhurst Park play really well on the counter-attack that you know they've got two or three players with you know some real quality that can um you know pull something out of the hat and change games quickly I, I thought it was a really tough game for him to be in um and that I'm trying to remember that there's one chance in, in particular I, I I can't remember was it the first half or was it the second mm. half where he he kind of found himself through on on goal the balls played through to him and he he did really well to time his run, get in front of the defender and he almost shaped his body to the left and then he just couldn't, it, like, he kind of got his foot under the shot and I thought, if he's on form, he just, he slots that in, he got no power on it whatsoever and I'm not using one moment in the game to to kind of justify my points because I, I think he's been struggling for a little while really but I wonder if he could benefit from, from a rest and I'm not trying to polish a turd, lads, but if, if we don't get this this VAR decision overturned, maybe the, the silver lining on this would, would be that it pulls Calvert-Lewin out for two or three games and he can just focus on rest and fitness, mental sharpness. It gives better, better a bit of a chance to 
come into the side and hopefully that'll only benefit him and when Calvert-Loon does come back he might have a bit of that um striker's edge again because I think I think that's what he's lost um and uh, you know although our xg and the amount of shots we're having per game is, is shot up I do think we're playing in a very different way to how we were playing under Ancelotti where you know Calvert-Loon's role was just get into the box and anticipate the cross um I don't think we've been getting particularly great service into him due to the way that we've been playing. And, you know, part of me wonders whether he's a little bit frustrated with that as well. I think it must be quite hard to be a um, a lone striker in our system at times. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. And like you say, it's not it's no sort of slight on him. It's, you know, we have to understand as well. Like you say, this is the first time he's really strung this number of games together. I'd obviously won one game where he had a bit of a niggle, but... He's put, put together a lot of games in, in quick succession for the first time since probably, like you say, Carlo Ancelotti was, was the manager. So uh, it's a lot for him to, to, to take on. Um, we all thought, I think, before the game, we'd see Beto start. I think we all thought it would be the ideal chance to give Dom, Dom a break. And I know I think the managers probably thought, because you look at the number of changes that were made, it was just a three, wasn't it? Obviously, mm. we, we saw we saw Dan Zuma, Seamus Common, and, and Jal Virginia, of course, come, come in. Um, and he gave a rest to a few players, but we thought the one player that we, you know, we we'll, we should probably give a bit of a, a night off is Calvert Lewin. But he's probably thought, well, ten games between this game and and, and the Villa game, um, they're going to get you know quite a few days off post match anyway. So I'll, I'll play him. But I mean, it's all it's all hindsight. But I was surprised when I saw his name on the, on the team sheet, and and he, you know, as I say, he did okay. But when he when he was getting chances, especially that one that you mentioned, Pete. There was, it just wasn't clinical, was it? It was it was a safe attempt at goal. It got trickled towards the goalkeeper, and it was it was it was a pretty straightforward save. But the, the one player I think who who made a bit of a difference, and we might see a bit more of him now, given the fact that Dwight McNeil unfortunately picked up a, an injury. Um, we, we feared the worst. I think it's being played down a bit by the by the manager post match. So, you know, it's a swollen ankle for Dwight McNeil. Obviously, he missed the start of the season with an, an ankle issue. Um, so when he went down and was stretched away, we we feared the worst. But one player who came in and I think made made a real difference was was uh, was Dan Juma. So Luke, what are your thoughts on his on his performance against Palace? Because we know what he's all about, don't we? What, the, yeah. the one side of his game that he lacks is, is defensively, and obviously Sean Dice is very very keen for his wide players to help out his fullbacks. But if we look at him from an attacking sense. He's someone who, who I think personally can can unlock defenses and, and, and do something a little bit out of the ordinary, and I think could, could be could be a really, really important player for us over the next few weeks. Yeah, regarding Zanjuma, he's uh, he is a cracking player. He has got a lot of potential. I think my only gripe with him is is moments when he's in the final third, he seems to be more inclined to shoot rather than lay off a pass. I've uh, I've seen this quite a lot, especially in some of the Premier League games. There's moments there where all he had to do was just make a small pass to the right or just a quick pass backwards and there would have been almost a guaranteed goal. But he loves to just, he sort of tunnel visions towards that goal when he sees it. He thinks, okay, just me and the goal. That's it. That's all I want to go for. But movement, his ability to get the ball and hold possession is absolutely spot on. He's a cracking winger and I think he is probably the ideal replacement for McNeil at this point in time. I mean, looking at the injuries right now, apparently Ashley Young is meant to be coming back uh, for this next game. So would we see him back in the squad? Would he potentially go as a right midfielder like we did against Newcastle and maybe put Harrison on the left? Or would you put Dan Juma on the left and Harrison on the right? There's there's a lot. 
for debate on that one because we know Ashley Young's quite good for that. But I think Dan Juma, with his recent form, I think he'll probably be the one who takes priority over that sort of situation. Whether we uh, whether we have him as a winger or whether we play him as the potential number 10, it's up for Sean Dyche's decision, I think. Yeah, he's very direct, isn't he? He's a player he who, like, like you said, uh, you know, at times you, you become a little bit frustrated because you want him to, if he beats a man, you know, look, look to pass the ball. Or, and what he always likes to try and do is, is shift the ball, face half a yard of space and look to get his shot away. And that's always his, his first thought, as opposed to sometimes, is there a better option than me having a shot from here? And he doesn't really see that. Um, but, you know, a couple, a couple of chances, you know, for, for him in the first half, really, one, he forced a keeper into a, a decent save, and the other day he got a little nick and went out for a corner. But he, he's, he's someone, Pete, who hasn't really, since those early weeks of the season, when we spoke about him at, at great length, actually, and I remember going back to the early, earlier podcast this season that, he, he was uh, he was compared to a certain Kevin Morales in terms of how he takes up positions in the box from a wide position. He'll come inside and he'll look. I mean, look at the Sheffield United goal for example, where he's coming in off the wing, he's the extra man in the box, and he's at the back post to put the ball in the back of the net. We haven't really seen that since the early part of the season, but he hasn't really been given the chance, has he? You know, he, he came in for the Burnley League Cup tie, Goodison in the number ten role and didn't do particularly well. In recent weeks, we've started to see him a little bit more off the bench. But he needs to be given that bit more time consistently on the pitch, I think, to really make a, a massive impact. Yeah, de- definitely. And I think it, it brings that word back again, confidence, because th- there's been lots of rumours, haven't there? You've got to be careful how much you read into things that he wants more playing time. And, you know, he's, he's asked his, his team to look at options of, away from Everton, potentially, <clears throat> uh, which I, th- I think would be a real loss for us because he, he has shown glimmers of of real potential if we can harness it in the right way. I, I think in, in in the Palace game, I I felt he was probably one of our best attacking players, you know, particularly in the first half. You know, get, going back to what you were saying there, Luke, I really agree with that, that he often kind of gets his head down, doesn't he? And then when, he, when he's in a, a good attacking position, sometimes gets the shot off when just putting his foot back on the ball and getting his head up might, might be the better option. And I felt he really did that. Um, in the first half against Palace, he was kind of getting into that upper left quadrant, and then just running at the defence and trying to trying to play the the low cross um, along the six yard box, which if it didn't go through, tended to get us a corner. And I thought, you know, this this looks like like a you know a, a really um, a really key shift in the way that he's been playing, and whether that's been a little word in his ear or an arm around the shoulder, I don't know. I did feel that you, you get a lot less from Dwight McNeil when you have them both in, in the same side. So like Mike say, maybe it might be a bit of a, a blessing in disguise that Dan Juma can come in and kind of take that lead role on the left. And maybe it might be good for his confidence and it might, you know, might be a good test of whether he can do a job for us this season. Um, I think Morales is, it might be unfair to say, but you know, based on only a handful of games for Dan Juma, I felt, I feel Morales was a much better finisher than Dan Juma. I think if, if if Dan Juma was able to do on the right hand side what he can do on the left, we'd probably be unstoppable with with Dwight McNeil on that left hand side and you know, him with his ability on on the right. But he doesn't seem to be quite as comfortable. I know he's he's, he's been out there a couple of times for us and he seems to go very very quiet. And that that happened in the Palace game as well. Um, in the second half before McNeil got injured, McNeil did end end up gravitating over to that left, and you almost forgot Dan Juma was on the pitch, which. 
it's a bit of a strange thing, isn't it? He's obviously much, much more comfortable on that left-hand side. But if we can get the best out of him, there's a real player there to be unlocked, isn't there? I think he just needs to get that run of games and get his confidence up. And he seems to be one of those players that needs to be loved as well. And I think if he got a couple of goals, Evertonians probably really would take to him. So, you know, let, let's hope he's going to get his chance um, over the next couple of games. Yeah, fingers crossed on that one. Yeah, like, like you say, injuries will probably dictate that he does. We don't know how obviously how, how bad the injury to Mike McNeil is just yet. Um, but if if, it, if he is out, and obviously we still have question marks over the core. I know he is back in full training, um, of course, but there's a few a few little questions to be answered before before the Villa game. But let's obviously wrap up the the Palace game there. Before we do though, I must just want a little bit of praise for for Jar Virginia. It's got to be said, you know, comes in never easy as a second choice goalkeeper, um, especially at Everton because Sean Dice has always been keen to play Jordan Pickford in every single game, every cup game we, we've seen it. Um, so Jar Virginia comes in. I've got to be honest with you, I, I'm not his biggest fan. You know, I don't think he's he's at that level. Um, but it is difficult. You know, we've seen him loan quite a few times to, to various European clubs. Um, and, and sometimes clubs not of a particularly great level, it's got to be said, not on the top division. Um, but he's come in, he's still fairly young. Um, made a couple of, of decent saves. There was one one late on. He got a great touch and see it was going in the bottom corner. Uh, obviously went out for the corner. Made a couple of, of decent saves. And and you know when when you you sit on the bench for so long, and you don't get a look in, and second choice goalkeepers know this. That's that's the job, of course. But they're never going to be at the same level as your as your first choice goalkeeper. But came in, attitude was spot on. Didn't look uncomfortable at any point, uh, and I was delighted for him. You know, it's always nice to think for, when you you got players on the the periphery of the squad on the fringes and and not really playing. When they do come in, always important they they, they take the chance. Um, and, and and he did that. You know, it's it's important now. So maybe for the replay, the manager will look well. I'll I'll start you again, which which is is fine. But but nice nice to see. It is it's nice to see. And I think I think I we I feared the worst. And my piece of put put on the uh, in the chat before the game. Uh, I do like, I always like his his glove and boot combination. I say every single time we got us from me and piece in, in the paddock there before the game, he always tends to go for a, a double black. So he has his black gloves, black boots, and it's a great it's a great setup. If that's how you should always go as a goalkeeper for me. Um, mixed up a little bit against Palace, but from from a goalkeeper's perspective, he does concern me. But he did great. Listen, he did he did great, and, and it was it was nice to see. But. Let's round off that the the Palace chat there. Obviously, like we said, Everton in the middle of a bit of a break really at the moment, aren't we? Um, it was ten days between that game and, and the Villa game um, at Goodison Park this week coming up on uh, Sunday at two o'clock. So we're going to take a, a short break and discuss that after that. Welcome back to the second part of today's Unholy CNC podcast. As we now look ahead to our next game, uh, like I said before the break Sunday. Aston Villa coming into town. Um, and Aston Villa side, he's been, it's got to be said, absolutely fantastic, haven't they? You know, what what, what a season that they're having. Um, Unai Henry came in, didn't he, last season, uh, before we'd even sacked Frank Lampard. They removed Steven Gerrard. He gets brought in, Henry gets some European football, and now they're currently sitting second in the table. It's It's been an incredible turnaround. But aside, aside, Luke, that, you look at the quality that they've got. You know, even last season, 
when Gerard was there. You always thought Villa were underperforming, given the quality that was in that side. You know, uh, obviously they, they signed Luca Dean from us. They had the, they obviously the likes of Ollie Watkins. He was a he was a, a lovely footballer, good striker. Bailey came in, really, really good footballer. Always likes to score against Everton. You know, so last season there was quality there. Uh, Emery came in and got them playing some some really good, effective football. And you you, you look at them now and the, and the signs that they made in the summer as well, whether it be Tielemans or the Arby, you know, players who, who can make a real difference to that side. You could argue that they're sort of punching above the weight, of course, in, in second place in the league. But they're a side that, have really, really got the, the bit between the teeth. And and most weeks now, when you watch them, you are expecting Aston Villa to win the game. Mm. Absolutely. I mean, the Aston Villa team that they've got right now is absolutely spot on. It's what is pretty much your pinnacle Premier League football. It's a very physical team, very quick, and also very simple as well. So they're playing very similar to what we're trying to do at the moment. They're just moving it from back to front, with a lot of pace and a lot of power, and they're just making it very difficult for teams to sort of recuperate and gather in order to stop an attack. The, I mean, got to give it to them. I mean, the likes of uh, Tielemans, Torres, uh, Tara Mings, Wendia, all those lads, they're all players who are really pulling the socks up. They've really put a very good performance in for Aston Villa. I mean, where they're sitting in the league right now just says, I mean, you can't go from... August all the way through to January and be basically pushing for the title and then say, oh no, this is a fluke, this. They're, they're not going to be able to hold on to this for too long because you would have figured that one out by about October, November. They would have, sat, they would have ended up slumping down to around the mid-table point by that point. I mean, it's one of them. They, how long could they push Liverpool off that top spot? I mean, if they beat us, uh, which I don't want them to do, um, they probably could. They could actually challenge Liverpool this season, I think, if they keep this momentum going. Yeah, momentum is the key, isn't it? I mean, they, they, mm. they, I say they've stumbled recently after the year earlier. I mean, obviously, the the uh, one by a deflected goal in the FA Cup against Middlesbrough this weekend. Uh, they beat Burnley, struggled against Burnley, it's got to be said. Uh, and Burnley, they went down to 10 men. At home, Aston Villa, one by three goals to two, a late, a late penalty, won them, won them that game. Obviously, they were two up against Manchester United and threw that away and got beat 3-2. They, they drew a home to Sheffield, uh, Sheffield United as well, which was a little bit of a surprise, it's got to be said. Uh, but then they've been away to Brentford and won there. They beat Arsenal, they beat Man City. So just before then, you know, they were in good form. Um, but as you say, momentum is always the, the, the key word. You know, we, we know ourselves. We had some really good momentum the, the first half of December. Um, unfortunately, dropped off. But we've, I think we've, we've arrested the slide almost. Sounds a bit daft with a nil-nil draw. But and then when you've lost a few on the spin, it's always important to try and stop that. Uh, and we did do against Palace. Um, but but Villa, a different kind of a different kind of task next weekend. Aren't they, Pete? You know, like I say, they are in decent form. Um, the Aston Villa, you know, they they're aside. I always always look at them. Similar to us, you know, they're a, they're a big club, aren't they? They've got a great history, Aston Villa. I know they've, they've had struggles over the last maybe 10 years or so, obviously the relegation and things like that. But since they've come back up, they, they've, they've certainly got themselves back into the as an established Premier League side. But like we were saying then, um, the quality of the players that they've got, and, you know, they've got a bit of depth there now, haven't they, as well? You know, they've got a, 
a couple of players for each position, players that can do that can do real damage. Manager, this game on on Sunday, like I say, I mean, I don't fear anyone besides Man City when they came. You know, they, they come to Goodison, and you, you do fear the worst. I know I did before the City game. Uh, that's the only side really that I always think we're going to find it really hard to get up. You know, anything from the game today. I don't put Villa in that category. Um, it's it's a game which is certainly winnable, but a game that you know it could certainly go the other way. Uh, and it wouldn't be a surprise either. Yeah, I mean, for, for us, you'd say in the Premier League, probably apart from the the Wolves game, um, you know what you're going to get from Everton. You know, we we've become a, a very very consistent team with, I, I think, a consistently high level of performance. You know what to expect, and that that's a, a great place for us to be in, and that I think gives us real confidence and hope that despite the points deduction, we're hopefully going to find ourselves in a a different predic- predicament as the season goes on. But with Villa, um, probably over the past five or six games, you, you don't know what Villa you're going to get. I mean, I watched the both the City game and the Arsenal game. And the, the thing that surprised me a little bit and I was so impressed by was Villa didn't change their setup to accommodate those teams. And they certainly didn't sit behind the ball and you know look to play on the counter-attack. They took Arsenal and City on. Um, I mean, the, the probably the bigger surprises that both of those games was only one nil um because they really they they really sat back and said we're good enough to play football against these teams um and i was really really surprised and and to be honest i was quite envious really of villa because as you say they're in a similar position to us not so long ago ago and i've just you know gone from from height to height so I think it might be a case of how Villa, you know, approach playing against us because when they went 2-0 up against United, they completely tailed off. Like, I, I can remember us walking down um, to, to Goodison talking about the, the, the game, I think, the day after, saying, like, I can't believe the Villa did, didn't change after they went 2-0 up because United just continued to aggressively press them um, in, in Villa's half when they were trying to play out from the back and caught them out. Two or three times, and that completely changed the you know the face of the game. So, I think there's probably a lesson in there for us that if we do go goal down, you know, not to let the heads go down and, and to continue pressing because if we get something back, it might allow us to get back into the game. Um, but I think it, I think it'll be an interesting one, and I, I just hope that Villa Villa have an off day and we we seize it. Yeah, but I think I think the, the key point there, though, like like you say, is that out of this whole. Out of the whole December, and, and you, you could argue the back end and into January, you know, the the bad run, if you like, the only game really, we said this at the time after the game, that we didn't deserve anything from, and we were really poor, and was the Wolves game. Games that we lost against City, we, we, we did well. You know, in the cup against against Fulham, we should have really won that game. We, we definitely should have got something from the Spurs game away. We, we were the better side by, by a country mile. Um, so I think that the the players are still hopefully mentally still in in a good frame of mind and think you know we, we are in decent form still uh, we are playing some good football like I say another night against against Palace we win the game if it stays eleven v eleven Everton were the ones pushing for the win Everton you know we we, we navigated a couple of sort of ten or fifteen minute spells in the game where Palace were on top but I never thought on the massive threat in that game I thought Everton. 
did pose a bit of a threat. And at the point where where Calvert Lewin gets sent off, we were we were the better side, and we were pushing for the winner. So I think this, you know, the the players will, I'm sure, will will be mindful of of the, the good form that we have been in. We've now sort of um, addressed that slide a little bit with the with the draw. But shouldn't fear, shouldn't fear Aston Villa, you know, coming to Goodison Park. Yes, the second, and and they've done terrifically well to be there. They've got some real quality. But Everton has shown this season we, we can we can go toe-to-toe in, in terms of, you know, performance-wise against the better sides and get something from the game. No no reason why we can't. Um, so it's going to be, obviously, not going to be an easy game by any stretch of the imagination, but hopefully this week we get some good news in terms of Dominic Calvert-Lewin. Um, the red card has got to be rescinded. You know, if we want it, you talk about integrity of the game, which I, I hate, by the way, because there's no integrity in football anymore anyway. But it's got to be rescinded and he should be available for the game against Aston Villa. It's, it's as simple as that. If, if he's not, then Everton have got to start asking some some serious questions because it's, it's, it would just be unbelievable. You know, when, when, when people term it the worst red card ever, that tells you all that you need to know. Uh, but hopefully he's, he's back and available. You know, we talk about Decore. Luke, we know how important Decore is. You know, what have, what have we won? I think I put a... Uh, sent a, a stat over to, to the lads the other day. I think we've won in all the time he's he's uh, he's been at the club before. I think we've only won three times when he's not been not been available, which is which is unbelievable. Uh, we haven't won a game when he's not been unavailable under Sean Dyche. Hopefully, the likes of him, the likes of Ashley Young, you mentioned there as well. Um, hopefully they're available Luke, to give us a, a bit more of a of a, a, a bigger squad once again and more, more players that we can we can use on the day especially the core because of how important he is yeah absolutely I mean I've uh, made me a little lineup here for the Aston Villa game I mean uh, myself I've put Andre Gomez as my number 10 there just because he has got the potential to actually uh, lay off someone like Beto or like that if Cavalloon isn't available but I would say if Takori is available um, I would probably have him on for the second half. I would give him the entire second half to give his legs a stretch because he is one that is very critical. Because, I mean, it's not just his physical ability and his ability to pass, but he knows where the net is. He's, I think he is one of our uh, top goal scorers at the moment for this season. I mean, he's one of them. He's got a good uh, direct run. He's got a good power shot behind him. And he will bully defenders if needs be. He's one that, as you said, He's an absolutely critical point in our squad. And when we miss him, it's blatantly obvious that we're missing him because we're just missing that fa- another that other little link to get the results going. He is, yeah. I mean, obviously, he's our top goal scorer with six goals. So he shows how important he is. Obviously, since since Sean Dice has come in, he's been our top goal scorer, he's been our most important player. Um, so it just it just shows you, and we've said this on over the previous weeks, how important he is to, to this side functioning. Properly, no, nobody can replicate what he does in that role. That's the really important thing. You know, you, you look at the likes of Jack Harrison's been in there against Palace. He's been in there a couple of times. I thought he he he'd done well at, uh, initially, um, but not in the Palace game as a number ten. I think he really struggled. And like like you were saying earlier on, Pete, what then happened is McNeil goes to the right, which takes away his effectiveness because obviously Dan Jim's on on the left hand side. So when when you then pull McNeil to the left hand side. He looked great, didn't he? You know, you saw a little that little shimmy. He took two men out, didn't he? Just went through a little gap. See you later, lads. That's Dwight McNeil all over because he, he is so left-footed, but he's so much more comfortable on the left-hand side than the right-hand side. So it's trying to get that balance, and Decore allows you to have that balance. 
of obviously Jack Harris on one side, McNeil the other. It may be a case of Harrison playing right and Dan Juma playing left um, at, against Aston Villa. It all depends what happens with, with McNeil, but I just can't see him being fit for the Villa game. You know, if, if the ankle's swelled up, it's going to take him a good few days to probably get out on the on the grass, and that that that's best case scenario. Um, so we, we'll see. But I think if we having the Corey back in, potentially having Aston Young back in the squad. That it's always always a positive when you've got players returning, and we need them. Obviously, the Sagana Gay is currently injured and also due to go to uh, to Afcon as well. The manager said he's still here, but the chances are he's going to go over there. Um, so we're, we're going to lose him. Uh, been a little link over the last well, the last twenty four hours or so to to Hannibal Manchester United. Everton signed a hijack a deal there. Um, a bit strange that one, Pete, from, from your perspective, you, you, you said last night. Um, you know, you can sort of play an eight or a ten, maybe wide as well, in, in, a, in a more more advanced position, but uh, hasn't had loads of game time for, for United, that's for sure. Well, that, that's kind of why it surprised me a little bit. I think initially when I saw the rumours, I, I thought, well, does that suggest that, you know, potentially, um, you know, Gomez is going to be going out, or as you say, is it is it looking, is it us looking cover for Idrissa Garner Gay? But then, you know, I've not seen Hannibal play a lot, but you look at his profile and you think, well, is he a like-for-like replacement for Garner? No. When I've seen him play for United, he's tend to play higher up when he's come, coming off the bench for them, um, certainly for the senior team. They've looked to play him almost more as a 10. And then I, I look at our team and I think, I just don't think Sean Dyche would, would go for him as a as a 10. Um, so look, this could be another one of those times I'm catastrophically wrong about something, and he might be a, a, another golden loan signing for Everton um, if he does come in. And I, I hope that's the case. I'd, I'd be really happy to be wrong, but it, it just had a bit of an odd feel for me that you know, have we been connected to a player that if we if we brought him in isn't really quite right for for the way we play, um, and where where does he fit in? Um, but then you know, I. I acknowledge I know absolutely nothing and the, the club have got experts in football that work on this stuff and know what they're talking about and I don't. It's one of those, isn't it? You know, I think it's when you're in that position, if you can look to try and get a, a, loan, a loan deal in for somebody to, you know, to, to increase the bodies in the squad. I think when we talk about about where he, he's better playing, is he better as a 10? Maybe, like you said, you know, he plays a bit more advanced. Um, for, for his club, he's only made nine appearances, you know, and that's appearances, not 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 starts. Nine appearances this season throughout the Premier League, Champions League, and and the the, the Carabao Cup. Not not had, had many minutes under his belt whatsoever. Um, but there is interest there from other European clubs. I think he was pretty much about to sign on the dotted line for Sevilla, uh, another seven 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 club. Whether whether their owners are sort of potentially. Looking to, to do something there to, to push him across to Everton. Obviously, just down the road, he hasn't got to move, you know, with no upheaval for the player. But, or, you know, whatever he, he wants to do there. But I think a lot will depend on what Everton do in terms of players going out. You mentioned Gomez there. He's been linked to Benfica uh, in the last last few days or so. Um, obviously, on big, big wages, um, Everton, I'm sure, will be looking to free up a little bit of money that way. There's talk of Onana. That's been sort of circulating for a little bit well certainly since last summer um but but definitely now yet again i think he's been linked to arsenal again barcelona in the mix those kinds of sides whether it happens now or in the summer we don't know um but i think that there's not a great deal i mean kevin fell well really refreshing um arsenal came out didn't it about sort of 10 days ago maybe a bit less to say listen 
it's going to be a quiet a quiet month up to now but if we can get something done then we'll try and get something done it all depends i think on on who goes out um but just to finish off, Luke, what, what's your thoughts on on the on the Hannibal link? Uh, as Pete said, I haven't seen a great deal of him have we? because he does he hasn't played a, a lot of minutes for Manchester United. But we're looking to sort of pad the squad out. Maybe if you if you play him as a ten, the Corey can always then cover centre mid as we've seen already this season as well. What what are your thoughts on that link? To be honest, looking at the link itself, uh, looking at his uh, profile on the uh, transfer market, I would say he's almost like the understudy to Decorey. So what would happen is he'd probably come into the squad and Sean Dice would say, right, watch how Decorey plays. This is how he plays. We want you to do extremely similar because we know that Decorey is now getting on in years. He's potentially going to have more injuries down the line, God forbid. And we want you to be able to go into that role and do at least 80% of what he can do. And potentially in some situations if we're ever trying to chase a win, we could say in a situation like, right, screw it, we're going to go for all-out attack. Um, Onana, you're going to go on the bench. Um, Hannibal, you and Decorey are going to be up top. You guys are just going to pound that opposition goal as much as you can, try and get as many opportunities as you can, whether you lay off, whether you shoot, whether you're passing, I don't care. As long as it's going towards the goal, that's all I want to see. He could play in that sort of way. I mean, it, I've, I'm worried that it's going to be another Donny van der Beek situation where we get him. And he gets, I don't know, maybe half an hour altogether. It, I don't want that to be the case because I want us to get a player on loan who could potentially become in as a permanent sign and, and one that makes a massive difference for the club. Because, like I said there, Decorey, he's, what, 31, 32 now? So he's getting on in the years. And we do need to look at getting someone who can take his role and do similar or better to what Decorey does right now for the squad. I think you're right. I think when you bring a player in on loan, even if you don't sign that player at the end of, say, the six months or 12 months, I think if you're going to use one of your your, your loan slots for somebody, you've got to come in and do something and make a difference. That, that's the important thing. Don't just waste it because it's a body. That That's that's mm-hmm. the, the real key point here. Obviously, you'd assume that the, the, the people behind the scenes of the club are doing the, the sort of due diligence and they think that, you know, he's been identified as a player that can come in you know, obviously he's got Premier League experience. He's only a young player, of course, but got, got Premier League experience. He can come in and do his job for us. And that's that's the really important thing. But let's see how that materialises. Still fairly early in the month, of course. Still a good few weeks to go in this in this January transfer window. I'm sure there'll be a little bit of movements. I think certainly out, whether anyone comes in is another matter. But I think if we free up a little bit of money that way, you know, if Dan Zuma, for argument's sake, if his loan gets cut short and he goes elsewhere... Then do we then use do we then get any money back for on his loan fee, which was three million euros? Probably we then save a bit of money on his wages. That frees up a little bit of money to to, to maybe do something, but we'll see how the, how the rest of the month goes. It's always full of a lot of talk. Obviously, it came from <coughs> Fabrizio Romano, so he's he's obviously in the know as we, as we all know from uh, from previous previous years. So let's see let's see what happens on that but to finish off let's have your predictions for the Aston Villa game obviously we're a little bit away from there about a, about a week well a week away aren't we as we record today Pete score prediction going to go for an optimistic hard fought 1-1 one, one. one all draw I think we'd probably all take that to be fair Luke me I'm, I'm going to be optimistic with this one and say it's going to be a very scrappy game but I think we're going to edge it out with a 1-0 win again we'd all take that of course um, oh yeah it's yeah, it, it's obviously it's going to be a a game that Everton have got to be very very resilient and, and rigid and difficult to beat. Uh, you know they're they're a good attacking side. I think we can certainly I think defensively 
cause him a few issues. Personally, I think so. Um, I think set pieces, we know how strong we are at set pieces. Um, so I, I do think we can cause some problems. I'm going to say, I think it's my favourite on the spin. We'll say a two-all draw. And it'll come in one day. I'm going to say two-all. Um, goals, goals galore, Goodison. But listen, any kind of point or points, I think we would, we would all take that um, as we look ahead to, what is it? It's a quietish, difficult month, um, a difficult few weeks, to be fair, with that cup replay in mind as well uh, the, f- the following week. So let's hope we get something from the game. Uh, but that's all for today. Luke, real pleasure having you on for the first time. It's been a pleasure to join you. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you very much. And we will certainly have you on in the in the very near future. Uh, that's all for today. Just a, a little bit of uh, for those who haven't seen it on Twitter, you know that that's our that's our main main platform. We announced a few days ago that every single month this year, a competition will be run by ourselves. Now, we've we've done quite a few competitions over the years. We we ramped them up last year, obviously, uh, which which finished with our big Christmas giveaway, which was a which was really well received. Obviously, two hundred pound worth of vouchers, match tickets, things like that, all thrown in together. Um, so every single month now, you will see at least one competition launched. Hopefully, there might be a second one this month. Who knows? But that'll be that'll be telling. But that's only possible, and we've said this before, because you listen to the show. That, that's a really important thing. If you didn't listen to us, then we couldn't do it. Um, so we do appreciate that. So keep your eyes peeled on Twitter uh, for the competitions that we run every single month. They'll be different in terms of what we have. Sometimes it'll be effort merchandise. Sometimes it'll be tickets, stadium tours. You know, we'll we'll do a variety of different things. Uh, let's see let's see what comes up but we do appreciate the support everyone obviously listens to the show and interacting with us across social media we don't take that for granted and um, that is us for this week uh, so we will catch you next week obviously post uh, Aston Villa um, hopefully we, we can uh, come away with at least a point if not three so we'll catch you then The Unholy Trinity Podcast Three Blues, Three Opinions, One Everton Podcast. Sports Social Podcast Network.